0: Welcome back to How They Train's Ironman World Championship 2022 Kona Edition. Uh, just like last time, I'm joined by, in my opinion, one of the um, one of the best minds in 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 the entire triathlon world. There's probably not anyone, maybe outside of Craig Alexander, whose opinions and um, ideas and stories I love hearing hearing more than than this man, Luke McKenzie, when it comes to all things triathlon. So, yeah, a no-brainer for me that that I get Luke on and we. We just have a have a conversation and, and, and a chat and a discussion around everything that we saw unfold at the, the world championships. Luke, you were there on on, on the ground. How, how did you see the, the whole day and event?
1: Oh, thanks for the intro, Jack. I know about about uh, that the mind there, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely you know have my opinions about the sport and definitely a big fan of the sport. So uh, yeah, it's always good to get on here and uh, have a chat about how things went and uh yeah it was an awesome event over in Kona this year uh, to be back after three years and you know for the buzz of you know the Ironman world to to finally uh to finally have its day it was it was really fun to be over there and um yeah we, we had a great time watching I want to talk about
0: like everything throughout the day um I reckon maybe this year I want to start with the the women's race so let's just do that um because it was a weird race, the women's race. Like I, I think both races didn't really play out how how races in Hawaii might traditionally play out. But I think the women's race, particularly, um, we see a lot of times in the women's race, things quite spread out, or the battle being between someone who's quite away off the front and someone who's going to run through the field. But it sort of feels to me like the women's like women's Ironman is catching up to, to where the men's like game probably was, I want to say like 20, like in the mid 2010s, like it feels like it's getting to that point. And then like, um, you know, in five years time, we might have a women's race like we had on the weekend in the men's race. It doesn't like the women's racing at the world championships always felt to me like it was sort of back where the men's was in the, the the late two thousands where the fear was a bit more spread out didn't quite have the same depth so you didn't have these like insane races where you know you might have ten people who can win the race um, at, at any point it sort of and and this race to me I think a lot of talk in the lead up was that it was the strongest women's field of all time and and I sort of agreed with that and maybe the first time we'd had such a a strong five or six women who really no one knew who to pick like I was watching like looking at at everyone's picks before the race and and trying to make my own. And I just couldn't nail who I thought was going to win. Like I, I, I doubted Daniela reef in the past and was like, well, maybe I shouldn't doubt her again. So she has to be my favorite, but I think Annie Howard can win. I think Lucy Charles can win. You know, I think Laura Phillip can win. I didn't pick Chelsea Sadaro to win. I thought maybe yeah. she could finish on the podium and then, yeah. and then how it unfolds, you know, like it was, it was like, Daniela didn't get away the way she, we thought she could. She, Caught up late, but the effort killed her and and then, you know, we see Anne Hag five minutes off the off the lead out of T two and everyone's like, Well, it's surely it's Annie Hag's race to lose now. And then Chelsea Sodaro got to the lead 10K into the run, only three minutes back off the bike, and she the race was over. Like the race was done. At 14 15k K I sort of turned to the person I was watching it with and thought, It's done. Like Chelsea's just won. We don't I'm pretty sure we can stop watching this now. And yeah, so that's not how the women's race usually plays out. Someone, you know, who just rides, comes in a T2 in second or third, couple of minutes back, and then takes over the run and, and wins pretty comfortably.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think the, the depth now of the women's field and the no clear favourite is definitely what's made it super exciting in this last year or two of uh, Ironman distance racing. I think, you know, you look back over the years, you've always had that one super dominant, lady that has you know it really had multiple results over years and just it was always they would come to Kona and you would know that they were on lock for the win whether that was a Chrissy or a Daniella in the past or you know going right back to the Paul and be phrases and it that's that's definitely changed now I mean you you get to Kona and you you see these women's list and I was the same as you I mean I didn't dare doubt daniella again after doubting her in in utah but there was something that i was feeling too that it just it felt a lot closer and it was going to be a lot uh you know there's going to be a lot of more names in the mix throughout the day and and you know, i think the way that lucy races too i think having her there now really taking the bull by the horns at, at, in the swim and the bike and really making these these women chase I think that's probably what's also driving it as well whereas I guess in the past a lot of the the Kona races if you think back to when Rini won or you know Daniella would come through on the bike and the run but but now we're really seeing a new age of women's racing where um, you know you've got Lucy and uh Lisa Nord and Fenella Langridge all these all these women that can really swim and bike and it's really mixing it up with taking the, the race on early in the event and not really, um, you know, coming down to who's got the, the best run. Um, but, yeah, in saying that, I mean, I think, you know, you look at Chelsea's result. I mean, her second ever Ironman event after she, she raced in Hamburg. And for her to, um, you know, to put that race together, but such a well-rounded race if you look at her splits and the way that she raced it she was never really out of that top 5 10 position all, all swim and bike and then and she was just right there in contention off the bike so um, yeah and like what you said i think you know, given that there was so many women um, close in that in that first couple of hours of the event really made for some some spectacular spectating I think like the
0: thing that stood out to me. So, what I've been saying is that the men's race was better than the women's race. It was a funner, funner race. More happened. Um, I think it was it had crazier performances across the board, um, and and so there's that. And so that got a lot of focus, and and everyone was focusing on Sam Laidlow and Gustav Eden and Christian. And I get it, but what I didn't want to get missed amongst that is, despite that, Chelsea Sodaro had in my mind, at least the most dominant performance across the weekend. Like she, I think it's, I think it's a bit like, I think people are focusing on the fact that she won on debut um, and, and, you know, like she sort of come out of nowhere and that's the narrative, but people are like, I don't know if people are fully understanding how, how she won that race. Like on a day where every single person in that field had a, a, a run so far below what they're capable of, like, Annie Hag was the next best runner on course and she went two fifty-eight, which is like, in my opinion, that's a solid eight, maybe even ten minutes slower of what we know Anne can run. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, Lucy Charles, she came second and she she ran three oh two or three oh three, I think, even. And and you know, like um, Laura Phillip was running through the field to to finish fourth. She didn't even break three hours. This is mm-hmm. this is like not fast running for these girls. They're all capable on on you know a course with slightly easier conditions, running much faster than that. But Chelsea Sodaro ran two fifty one, and could she? There's just like no doubt in my mind she could have ran faster if she had to. Like she just looked so easy compared to everyone else. That's why it was like fifteen k in the run. You're like, oh, she's just won this. She could just. She never looked like she struggled the whole the whole marathon. She looked like she started the run fresh and finished the run fresh, um, and and she ended up winning the race by eight minutes, which is crazy. Mm. Like to me, that's crazy on an, on a day where every single like female in that race was blowing up and capitulating on the on the run. Chelsea didn't. She negative split, Luke like yeah that's blows my mind like she was so far ahead of all those other girls on the run It, it like it, it's almost like hard for me to understand how that happened
1: yeah well i think i think what you got to also look at too is that there were a few athletes that probably did have subpar runs he, here this year in kona but you also got to look at the fact that some of these women are riding up to 10 minutes quicker now as well i mean and annie haug of four or five six years ago probably wouldn't have ridden a 440 odd bike split I mean and this is what Danielle has also pushed a lot of these women to do is to really up their game on the bike and so in doing that what she's essentially done is made a lot of these women override and then in turn they're not actually performing to their best for the run so maybe you know they've got the give a little on the bike to, to get the maximum potential out of themselves on the run but who's to say that that's going to catch a lucy charles or is that enough to beat a daniela reef so i mean it's all a big balancing act isn't it but i think someone like chelsea really nailed that balancing act where she probably rode well within herself in order to get that 251 run you know on race day whereas you know, I feel like Annie, maybe with a 4.41, I mean, she's a great bike rider, but is she, I think she had the second fastest bike split maybe. I mean, is she the second fastest rider in that field? Probably not. And then, so in turn, she probably hasn't had the run that she was capable of, you know, third place is by no means, uh, you know, not a great result for Annie. It is for sure. But I think, you know, given that she probably could have run a very similar time, if not faster than Chelsea on paper, then, you know, maybe that's something to look into in the future. But you know, I full credit to the way that Chelsea raced. I, mean, I from my eyes, the what from spectating there on the sideline, I think she ran well within herself as well. Meaning that had she been pushed closer to the line, I think she still had more inner. Um, looking at a few of the other women a bit further back, I think you know they they definitely didn't have that sort of coming on uh, feel to me. So. Uh, the, the really exciting race for us to watch, actually, we, we followed it all the way in from uh, probably about six, seven kilometers out. We followed Lucy and Anne um, all the way into town. We're actually uh, riding with Dan Lorang, who was there spectating. And, and I, I think that was probably the most exciting uh, part of the, the race for me was just to watch that 20 to 25 second gap that Lucy was holding over Anne and you think you would think any day of the week that Anne was going to close that gap, but Lucy, I, I just cannot tell you how tough she was in those final few kilometers to hold her off. To to know that probably the best runner in the sport was bearing down on her and she held her nerve and actually pulled away once she got you know really close to town. Um, that was that was super impressive, and um, you know I, I think given where she's come from with the injury and and her progression back to the top i think that's probably a big indication that you know I, I think lucy's got a lot to give come 2023
0: i've been thinking about a few things here um and and i definitely want to come to the lucy and and Arn battle which is like I, this is like a funny thing where i agree that the most entertaining part of that race was that battle for second which just tells you a bit about how dominant chelsea was doesn't it like Cause it was such a foregone conclusion that, you know, over 30 Ks, you want to see a race and, and it's like Chelsea's performance was incredible and no one was beating her on that day, but that battle for second and third really did become the fun thing to watch because yeah, Chelsea was just so far up the road and was running so much faster than everyone else that it was, that it was done. I had, a, I have a theory that I want to run past you and it's a theory that, that I've sort of been sitting on this week and it's like, it, it was brought on to me by the men's race. And do you know what I think this, this year was in the men's race compared to like this, for me, the secret story of the men's race was how fucking crazy the men's bike equipment and positions have gotten. It was just like this, this year where I was like, Oh, this is different now. Like even compared to, to say 2019, the, the last world championships, the positions mate, I would love to know how much time and money Magnus, Gustav, Sam Laidlow, etc have put into their positions because they're insane and and like I like the boys are riding so much faster for lower power. Like you, say you're in your era, right? Say in 2000 and let's go with 2013. If you rode the power that Sam Laidlow did, I mm. want to say that you would have ridden 425 max like Yep. <laughs> I don't think he would. Maybe not even. Maybe like four twenty-eight, and he rode four o four, and then it's insane. It's insane. I don't, and, but I don't think it was like a, a power thing as much as it was. He's just his position was just like he he has one of the best positions I reckon we've ever seen in 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 triathlon. His equipment is great. He just yeah, I think he's taking advantage of of some stuff that other people aren't. Um, and then and then Chelsea's. I look at Chelsea and I think I feel like her position is just a little cleaner on the front end than a lot of the women and I feel like she wasn't riding crazy power or anything like that I fe- I just felt watching her like she was getting speed a little bit easier than everyone else and and then I had Dan and Chelsea on the podcast and I said hey Chelsea what power were you pushing like she said there was this little patch where she was pushing a little bit of high power and I said what power were you at were you actually pushing there and Dan's like don't tell him don't tell him and <laughs> and I'd already been sitting on this I'm like oh it wasn't very high like and, yeah. and Dan doesn't want people to know that. And it confirmed this theory that I had. And it sort of made me think maybe that's why she ran so much easier than everyone else. Like I just felt like she was getting a little bit of free speed that other people weren't particularly like compared to say Daniela or, um, or like even Lucy, Lucy, to be honest. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. I mean the, the new era of aerodynamics and, and just the direction the equipment available now I mean, it's Luke McKenzie 2013's wet dream, to be honest. Like, it's just getting to the, you know, to the point of, um, you know, pure. Um, yeah, There's not really, I, I mean, at this stage, you can't really see where you can go from here with, with the aerodynamics. I mean, guys are now putting fairings down their, their top to 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 get extra did you I don't know if you caught Magnus Ditlev had like a quite a large sort of fairing down the, the front of his top Gustav too and then just things like this to, to, to close the gap between um you know pockets of air that are that are passing over the body it's like it's gotten to that level now and You know, the integration on the bikes has just gone another level. I mean, there's literally nothing that's exposed on the the front end of these bikes anymore. Um, You know, all all surface areas are, you know, really clean. And it's, if you're not paying attention to this, and especially in Kona, which is, you know, aerodynamics is extremely important on the bike there. I think that, you know, you're definitely going to be left behind. And the people that are paying the most attention to it, the Sam Laidlows, the Magnus Ditlevs uh, in the past couple of years, you know, the Cam Wurfs. Th- these are the people that have been producing the fastest bike split. And it's no secret because not only of their cycling prowess, but because of the, the attention to detail that they're putting in. So, uh, and, you know, it's an exciting time for the sport. I mean, the equipment is just next level now and, you know, I'd love to be on board one of these bikes that that they're, they're currently riding. And I think, um, you know, it's exciting time. It won't be long until someone's breaking four hours in Kona, which, you know, go back 10, 15 years, you know, to break four twenty was a feat. And, and now to be talking about 20 odd minutes faster, it's just, to me, it's unimaginable, but that's the, that's the direction it's going now. The sport's just gone to a whole nother level.
0: And do you, what do you think about my theory, theory with Chelsea? Do you reckon that is a factor?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I listen to the to your podcast and and I, she has definitely honed in on, you know, nailing. I guess one of her, her weaknesses might have been her bike position, and I think you know just by paying attention to it and investing a lot of time and effort into it, we've seen her really come on as a cyclist now in the sport, and you know that's a scary thing when someone with such running pedigree uh, can. Really, come on in an area that was potentially a weakness, and so you know that's that's probably more so than her dominant run is what really set her up for that win. She was well within striking distance off the bike, um due to the fact that you know she she dramatically improved on 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 the bike compared to the you know the Daniela Riffs and the Lucy Charles. She was right there in contention coming
0: off the bike, so. When the women got into T um, two, and not before they'd left, so you hadn't seen them run yet. I don't know if, like, what you were thinking there at the time, whether you were watching them come into T two or whether you're on the tracker. Who did you think was going to win? Were you like everyone else and thought this is probably um, Annie Harg's race to lose here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was standing at about the one mile marker, just on a Leahy drive there, but we were watching it on the tracker, and probably from about. 30, 40 Ks out on the bike, I was calling, oh, this is Ann hugs r- race to lose. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just, you know, I, I had a few people around me, um, Jordan, one of our good friends, who's a good friend of Chelsea's, uh, you know, kept chiming in. Oh yeah, but Chelsea, but Chelsea. And I just didn't see it. I, You know, I, her being unproven in Kona and having not raced there in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, yeah, she's never raced here. She, she realized how tough this marathon can be. And, and she, you know, didn't she prove me wrong there? Like she got out there on the run and from every single split from when she got onto that run, she just was superior to every single other girl on the course. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was in your boat. I thought, you know, Lucy, I thought Lucy would hold on to the lead for, quite a bit longer to be honest I thought she might go at least halfway into the marathon before Anne or Chelsea might have caught her and I was you know I was definitely backing her to stay on the podium um but yeah no I was very surprised uh that Anne didn't make a more of an impact earlier to to catch up um you know especially on Lucy It, it took her a very long time to sort of reel her in I just like I said I think the the bike just took it out of her but yeah, no. Hats off to Chelsea. It was it was a, it was a very smart race, and and I think a, a very confident race for someone that you know you can always go into to uh, your first corner with a bit of sort of uh, trepidation. And I think she just you know she went in there with the mentality of well, let's just see what happens. <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously, all the hard work she would put in. There was a lot of calculated. Uh, lot of a lot of calculation there from her and dan but i think at the same time i think it just took a lot of blind faith for her just to to commit to that as well so um you know sometimes you're rewarded with with the result for doing so 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 well done to her
0: and then lucy finishing second and and third um in the end i i mean Lucy was a funny one coming in because no one knew if she was um, ready, did they? Th- that was the talk. Like she, she'd had that long-term injury that had taken her forever to come come back from, and then um, we saw her in Dallas, and and probably even more before that, the um, the ITU world Long Course World Championships. She didn't look like she was ready to win the world champs. She just, just plain and simple, she didn't look like the Lucy who won the 70.3 worlds in St. George the the year before she looked like she was still coming back and, and needed, needed, you know, a few more months of of solid training to, to really get on top of her, of her run mainly. And, and I mean, I, I like, I reckon Lucy overperformed given where she, she was at. She's such a, like a tough gritty racer that Mm. she can get a lot out of herself. I think give her three more months, four more months and I yeah. don't know, I don't want to say that Lucy wins that race, but I think it plays out really differently. So for her to end up coming second, I reckon, speaks a lot about about Lucy. And if she doesn't get injured, God, I find it hard to see anyone beating Lucy next year.
1: Yeah, no, I think she definitely played above her average in this this event. But um, like you said, I think it's she's probably not 100% yet, and that's that's probably the scary thing. And, you know, I, my, I, I'd picked her for my podium – Purely based off, like, say, a TO factor where TO ended up coming second in 19 off the back of injury, where you know someone that's been on the podium and knows what it takes, and let alone an athlete that's also a pace setter like Lucy, you know the benefits of being right up the front of that event, knowing that everybody's chasing you all day. I think that that plays a lot. On the on the mental side of things as well, and and there's that that growing confidence throughout the day um, that comes with with that lead, and I think that's where I I, I saw her strength is. It, it wouldn't be a, a bluffing her way through it by any by any means. I think just the the position that she's in, um, I think just really forces the hand of a lot of other a lot of the other women, and she's benefited from. know having that strong strong swim bike and and making and forcing those women to play that hand to try and and reel her in before the end of the bike because now her run is it's it's very very good and if not i mean it's podium worthy now so uh this is we're talking about lucy who we you know for years she would always get run down by daniela reef but you know, I think those times have changed. I think, given another another year of of racing there at Kona and the, and it all playing out the same, I think that we could probably be looking at Lucy really dominating it next year. It's gonna it's gonna take a big effort for um everyone else to be on their game on that marathon to reel her in. That's for sure.
0: And I want to come back because I've got I've got some stuff I want to talk about with with Anne and 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 Daniella particularly. But I think the other big story of the female race was like um, the penalties. The penalties really shaped a lot of the race in the end. And, and it was just, we've never seen anything like that in an Ironman. Or like, I don't know if you have, but I've watched a lot of Ironman in my life and and a lot of big races. And I've never seen penalties being dished out like that in that way, where it was like a very clear intent to, to um, just, I don't even know if it was uphold the rules, but be very strict on, on on some like, on some decisions and like a point to make calls out there on course to give penalties. Did did it feel like that out in course? Was like
1: yeah. Did you see that? I I guess I I, it's hard to comment when you didn't actually see what where the infraction occurred. I think the, the issue there is is is, all of these incidences are, are you're never actually seeing them on on the in real time, are you? So you can't I can't really make a comment. That to for them to be giving out so many sort of makes me feel like they were going a little bit too gung ho i mean this is a world championship where these athletes have trained all year and if you look at all these athletes on paper n- not one single one of them went into that race with any kind of intent to to be uh, breaking the rules i think i, I think what happened from my perspective is is you had an official that had a very strong stance on the on where the draft zone was and it sounded like there was little to no um you know the consequence was uh, you got a penalty like there was there was no um warning or what whatever and i think that's probably where in the past a lot of these athletes might have become comfortable with the fact that maybe they were going to be talking to the ref and that they would be you know shown where the draft zone is but Um, I think that this year and probably rightly so like we, you're professional athletes. You should know the drafting zone and you should know the distance. You should know, you know, how long you can, you can spend in that zone in in certain maneuvers. And I think that's, that also comes back on the athlete. So I think just probably just consistency is what needs to be looked at. It's definitely uh, good to see that they're paying attention to the drafting zones, but you know, was there intent there by all these women? You know, like you're looking at Alisa Norton, Laura Phillip. These girls can ride rings around a lot of the field. They were not there to draft. But I think just given that the dynamics of the race and the way that it can sort of concertina up and down some of the, the terrain there, I think it's really tricky for, for some of these women that are used to just getting down on their bars and going for it. And when they're in a situation where at the, at the World Championships where they've got several other really good athletes around them, um, it really forces them into a different kind of race. So um, yeah I think I mean the, the penalties were dished out but if you look at, at you know the end result, a couple of those women really still had great races despite their penalties. So I think you know you look at Laura, Lisa, Sarah, they all ran up into the top 10 despite having that five minutes in the in the penalty tent. so um, the, the encouraging thing for their, for anyone really listening is your race is never really over there. And, you know, I think the same thing happened in the men's, to be honest, like there was, there was a few penalties there that, um, that might've been a bit questionable, but you know, those credit to those athletes for not just throwing it in, because I think that's probably something that goes through your mind when you've trained so hard for this one event all year. And then you get, you get sin bin for five minutes. It, It feels like an eternity. So um, you know, to, to have the, you know, the mental capacity just to deal with it at the time and, and move it aside and keep plowing on and, and have a good result. And then I think that that's, that's quite admirable as well. The real one
0: that like I would have wanted to see not get the penalty was Laura, just not because whether she deserved it or not. Like if she did fair enough, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I think, I actually think like a harsher stance definitely needs to be taken with the rules as they are at the moment. But I wonder what would have happened. Like, would she still have finished fourth because she was eight minutes back from third? But mm-hmm. it's just you can't. It's not as easy as that. Well, five minute penalty, f- eight minutes back, would have still finished fourth. Like we all know, that's not how it works. Just with dynamics on the bike and 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 just like where you sit in inside the race, it it just doesn't play out quite that cleanly. It would have been interesting to see how she how she um how she how her race played out if it didn't happen. And there's a few like things that were interesting inside that. I don't want to jump quite ahead to the men's race yet but Florian Anger got got a penalty as well and they happened to like interview him while he, while he, um while he was serving his penalty and he sort of it was really interesting what he said he said that like in a skeptical way you know like what's going on here kind of way or like like he knew something we didn't kind of way he's like he said oh, it was the same TO that gave Laura the penalty yesterday like saying that he gave it to both of them on you know, it just, there was a bit of something like a, whether it was a bit of venom or skepticism inside his words when he said that. And it, it made me think like, I, I couldn't tell, you can't tell when you're watching the coverage, like how many TOs are are there out on course? Is it the same one who, who's giving all these penalties and the other ones aren't? Because then it becomes tough because you are just like, you might, you might be riding the race and, and this TO really never comes up past you compared to another one. And, you know, you can be cheating. Like there was, I saw it. I was counting them. I saw at least five really obvious ones of people who we, we know aren't there to cheat. Like Braden came right up into a draft zone, like got a meter behind and, and then dropped back, which you're not allowed to do. And is what a lot of people got penalties for and didn't get called. And he's not alone. Like it's so inevitable that ha- that, ha- that kind of thing happens once or twice in a race. It's like, some common sense has to be used.
1: Yeah, Magnus Bitlev did for that exact same infraction. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit luck of the draw, which is quite frustrating because, yeah, I mean, you want consistency, don't you? And and whether, you know, one one ref's sort of view on a situation it might differ to another. And I think that's where, you know, Ironman could probably really sit down and, and have a really good hard look at how, you know how everybody's officiating and how that it's going to impact the race. I think that, you know, I've been, you know, I I got called for a penalty in uh, what year was that? 2016. Um, after I'd spent a good like half an hour on the front of the group that I was riding with, um, only for it to be passed by by an athlete, and because that athlete had to expend so much energy going past me, it took it took quite a while for them to get get past me but you know I I literally had to slam on the brakes only to look over to my left and see a TO and all that to I'm I, I swear all that TO saw was me slamming on the brakes and they were like well oh, panel I was like but hold on did you just read the race and I think that that's where possibly you know if we're gonna have TOs that are sitting within groups I think that you know, they've really got to read the race like that as well. And, and, see, you know, is there intent there? Is there, you know, is there something that's, you know, maybe just doesn't add up for that exact split second. It, it's very, very hard to, you know, you can't just be wishy-washy about it. Can you? So I think that it just needs to be, um, needs to be addressed. And I think, you know, a lot of these athletes and they're calling for 20 meters and we've been calling for 20 meters for, I still talk like an athlete, sorry. Um, <laughs> we, Forever we've been asking for 20 metres out in Kona and they, will, they just don't do it. But until they have 20 metres, I think it's going to be something that comes up year after year. And so uh, maybe this might be the, the turning point. You know, this was probably definitely the, the one year that sticks out in my mind that, that the penalties really played a part in the race. And I think that they're, they're probably going to want to have to look at it going into next year to ensure that it doesn't happen again. So, yeah, I mean, 20 metres, I think, in Kona would be great. And given that with two race days, everything's a bit more spread out, I can't see why it can't happen.
0: It's got to be twenty meters. That's a no brainer. That's the one change they need to make next year. Twenty meters on the bike, and I don't know. Iron Man put some of that billion dollars they have into some technology that that means it's the not technology
1: just... exists too. Like yeah, the, no. the race range of technology that they're working on. I mean, maybe even next year, just run it as a beta program and don't actually officiate off it, but just hundred percent get it out there, see how it works, fine tune it. Otherwise, I mean, we're going to get another ten. 10 odd years down the track and we're still going to be in the same position so you know every everywhere else in the in the triathlon world has really caught up with technology and yet we're still we're still you know you, you look at a football game or or anything you know pretty much every single decision now goes to the video ref whether it's the most obvious you know situation in the event or not they still go to the video ref just to make sure and you know this is these is, this is people's livelihoods too. You know, I really sympathise with the athletes who put a lot of time and effort to be called on, you know, someone's you know, someone's opinion. It's you know that probably hasn't read the race properly too. It's 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 definitely a frustrating situation.
0: It's just the thing. Like I don't want to harp on about this because I talk about it way too much, Luke. But Ironman and uh, Ironman don't care about the pros as much as they should, and they don't like. There's so many ways we could make this sport better for the professionals. Like could the money coming in, uh, you know, and the money going, like put, being put back into the pro race. It's like it's not great. And you know, this is this is one example of like 20 examples we could use of this. But the technology, you're right, it's it's sort of there. And like, why don't they just put it in place in a few of their big, the, their big like um, like Cairns and Frankfurt and and those kind of Ironmans and again, not officiated off like you said, but if they can sort of start nailing that across a few races this year and or, or next year, and, and then maybe the year after, I don't see why we couldn't have that in, in two to three years time. If they cause if they want to spend money on that and make sure it's, it's good, like it'll happen. I mean, we don't have like Man don't have the money of F1, for example, but like, look at the technology that's out there. Like you can make stuff like this work super easy. Exactly. If yep. you invest. No, in I, it.
1: I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think, you know, at- <laughs> it's it's been the same way for a long time jack you know iron man have their their business plan and it's very hard for them to to deviate from that and you know obviously now we've got a you know, we've got two race days now that this it allows for more people to to be in the event and and but you know just down to things as well as you know for years they said oh we can't fit any more people on the pier we can't fit any more people on the on the pier and then all of a sudden this year um there's a separate pro transition on Polani road in front of the king cam hotel um of course they could have fit more people on the pier because there was more space around the pier so um i think there's a lot of things that you know i think could be worked on on the ironman side of things to really um you know i think that the they've done a good job in separating the two races, but there's definitely um, some fine tuning that needs to be done with that. If you're going to you know, essentially double the fields, I mean, you're going to have a lot more people out on course as well and over two days. So you, you they need to start really um, nailing these things now.
0: And then what I said, I was going to come back to, I've got a, I've got two big calls Anne Hag and Daniela reef will never win an Ironman world championships again. Mm. What do you think?
1: Oh, it's yeah. I'm never going to write Daniella off again after what I saw in Utah. I mean, it's it's purely just based on her her desire to want to continue in the sport. To be honest, I mean, she's been at the top of the sport for so long, and she's never really had um, never been challenged to the degree that she is now. I think we'll probably see her rise to the occasion again. Um, will it be at Kona? I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to me like she has the run there anymore to really, and the women have caught up on the bike now. So I think it, she's going to really have to either double down on, on her bike strength and just go absolute next level or yeah, or we'll see her um, start to fade out of that, that podium place.
0: I just think that, that I questioned Daniela's motivation, which is crazy, but and I don't know her well enough to do that. But I I don't think I just get this vibe from things I see and and things I hear um from, from Daniela. I don't know. I said I said this I literally said this to my um, my partner before the race. I said, like I, I I just assumed after St. George Daniela was gonna come and win Kona. Like I said, oh, that's it. Like Daniela's gonna win Kona again. Like no one's close to her. Um, and then I don't know, I just had this feeling going into it. I said I said, like I can't I just don't want to pick Daniella to win. I was going to do like a thing where um, we did like all these picks and stuff, but I just ran out of time and and, and I I couldn't put Daniella to win because I, I had this gut feeling that Daniella went into St. George after a really shitty by her standards 2020. She was still like very good, but by her, you know, best triathlete to ever live standards, it was a poor year. And every uh, in 2021 in 2021 and everyone doubted her going into St. George. Me and you both did for sure as did, you know, Craig Alexander who I talked about and and everyone else in the, in the triathlon world, everyone was sort of like, Oh, Danielle's passed it. And I reckon that lit something, you know, like I think, and and it was clear with how she crossed the line there that, that she had a point to prove and that motivated her. And ever since she left Brett Sutton and went away by herself, I I just, you know, I reckon she had these like periods where she'd done everything in the sport. Maybe she wasn't like the same, dog hungry you know animal that you have to be to be as good as that and then she found it again to prove everyone wrong at St George and and I just I just the closer I got to this race I'm like I just can't see her being that same hungry version of herself like I don't know why I thought it and I reckon we saw that I like I don't think she cared about losing the, the same way I've seen her in the past like I don't know I I just I, I don't want to question a champion like Danielle it's not what I'm trying to do I just think once you've done that, she's a 10-time world champion. Like, we don't have anyone yeah. in the sport who's done that before. Like, it's so hard to keep showing up, you know, year after year and doing the blocks of, of work that you have to do to get to that level, especially when the level around you is rising as well. Like, she doesn't just have to be the same her as she was in 2017. She has to be better. She has to be the best Dani, Daniela Reef that's that's lived to, to keep winning races the way she was. I don't know. I just think that's a hard thing to maintain and – and and I'm making the call now that that she won't get back. I, I think I think we're we're going to see the the end of Daniela Reef's career, and she'll still do some really good 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 races and have big results. But I think the Daniela Reef era is is officially done in my mind. And and I think with that, I think that these these women like um, Taylor Nib and 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 Lucy Charles and um, and even Laura Phillip to a degree. I I think and Chelsea Sedaro, even though she's a bit older, but she's pretty new to Ironman. Yeah, I think they're going to make the races way too hard for for Anne Haag to win from now. So, yeah, I reckon next year um, we're going to see either Chelsea win it again or a new winner, and women's triathlon is going to sort of go to the the next phase is is my call.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we've already seen that changing of the guard. You know, I, I don't, you know, question daniella's legacy that she's left the sport but it's just also a natural progression too isn't it um to be honest i feel like you could probably talk of yarn the same way i mean i feel it'd be very tough for yarn to come back and win corner again now i feel and this would probably you know obviously fire him up as well seeing what what the, what the Norwegian boys have been able to do and and you know throw, throw in Sam Laidlaw and a host of others I think that the game just constantly rises at the moment and Daniella you know questioning her motivation, you know it, it, it would be very tough to keep backing up year after year when you're simply the best for a, for a long period of your career and so um, there'd be I don't think anyone would you know question her, her decision, if she was to to retire in the near future, that you know that any harm was done in in sticking around in these last year or two. I mean, she's probably potentially robbed of a few more titles during the COVID era, and you know she battled through that time and and came out the other side and still won in Utah. Um, but you know, I think. You know, if that's that's the best she's got, then she's she's still retired on a really good note this year. I mean, she won a world title just six months ago, so I mean, it's not like it was ten years ago, is it? So, you know, good on her. Yeah, you know, the comment about Annie Hug, I I don't know how much more Anne has to give um, in the swim the swim and the bike i think you know she's obviously always going to hang her hat on and on that really good closing run but like i said earlier yeah i think the the lucy charles the taylor nibs the these girls that are really pushing the pace on the swim and the bike and i you know i dare say that ash Channel will do the same in the future as well there's just this new breed of athlete that really commands the race from an earlier stage in kona now and yeah I, the, the days will the current um, direction of, of racing really caters more towards a way more well-rounded athlete than just someone that can produce a blazing faster run.
0: And now onto the men's race. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this race. I've been, I've been watching Kona since I watched my first one, you know, as it sort of happened in 2009, which is uh, not as long as you, but, but still probably longer than most people listening. And, and there's some races in there that I've loved, like some of my favorite. I think, as all like triathlon fans, we love Kona, and there's some races that we look back on with like some real nostalgia and and just love. Like, for example, I really I really loved um, the 2013 race, which which heavily involved you, and I loved 2011, and and I loved 2009, and you know I loved some of Yarn's Yarn's performances, but. That th- this was my favorite Ironman World Championships of all time. It, I think it was the best race that that the World Championships has ever had. Um, maybe it's not the closest. Maybe there's been some other ones that are a bit crazier in, in terms of like how you know how the battles unfolded um, and like come down. You know like Patrick Langer and Lionel Sanders um, was probably a bit more dramatic, and and you could say the same for Macker and Raylert, or you know the the Iron War, but. This race, the quality of the race, the hot, the hot, like just the level of performance of this race, how it unfolded, which was so much different to how anyone expected it to unfold. This, this race just had so much. I could talk about this race for, I reckon, five or six hours.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, there's definitely a couple of episodes in this, this event, Jack. But yeah, I was the same. I mean, I was in Kona, I was the first year post my career watching Kona in 2019 when Yarn uh, produced that amazing performance to win there and in my mind I thought geez this is going to take a long time to top this kind of dominance and just speed of the of the event you know it wasn't that long ago that Crowy held the record at 8.03 and now we're talking over 23 minutes faster like it's just it's absolutely mind boggling that just in half a generation, or I guess it's a generation that the, the leap forward is the biggest we've ever seen. And that's, there's just so many factors that go into that. But I think that we we are now seeing that we're really only now seeing the true potential for the Ironman distance in this last four or five years, you know, back in the day to break, to break the eight-hour barrier was such a massive feat, and I mean, the, these kids that have come in, i call them kids. I mean, they're obviously half my age, <laughs> but they—they they, they come along now, and and that—that's grandpa stuff to them. That's you know, they—they expect to to go in the seven forties or under, and and that's just that's just where where the sport has gone now. That's where you have to be, and it's an exciting time. I'm a super fan. I, I absolutely loved being out there on the sidelines just taking it all in and um yeah i'm excited to see where it can go to from here because you know like i said three years ago i didn't think we could we'd see a performance like that for a long time and you know the very next running we're knocking another 10 minutes off it which is just crazy
0: what you've just said then um like makes me think of something that max newman has told me since the since the race finished by the way max came fourth and finished eight minutes ahead of jan fredino's course record that you're talking about as watching it at the time in 2019 and thinking, fuck, that's going to take some some years <laughs> to beat that. Maxie Newman yeah. comes out and beats it by eight minutes and comes fourth. He doesn't yeah. even get in the podium.
1: The on the back. Yeah. yeah no, no, no one even insane. knows his
0: name still um, despite yeah. that. Pretty crazy. And he said to me, he said, like, we're just not scared of the distance anymore. Like the distance mm-hmm. and, and Ironman uh, doesn't scare us. Like we go out there and we race it like it's a 70.3 or – you know the i think there's like been a progression hasn't there like 70.3s now get raced like their olympic distance whereas there was a time where people were a bit scared of the 70.3 distance as well like not not in the same way they ever were of as ironman but it didn't get raced like an olympic distance race but but now 70.3 world championships is literally just a longer olympic distance race like it's fucking insane the speed they they're racing at there and and now ironman is sort of just getting raced like how 70.3 got raced you know, five six years ago, the the boys are just going out there and they just attack these races. They're not scared of blowing up, or they're not scared of, they're just not scared of anything in the in the race. Like they 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 train in a way that that is like to take the race by the horns and and go fast. Like they like exactly what you said. They 7:30 is just going to become the norm so fast mm-hmm. for Ironman. You're not going to be able to win a big Ironman in unless you're doing it in 7:30, which is like. Fucking crazy, and and this race really showed that. And and the two boys up front, like Gustav and Christian, obviously Sam Laidlow in there in the Norwegian sandwich, but they've changed this sport. There's no, there is no question in my mind that that it is single handedly on the Norwegians what's happening at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, like I, I think where we're seeing this real, I guess, huge jump in performance in the last couple of years is is purely. Uh, centered around the Norwegians and the way that they're approaching the sport and I think they've really brought such a high level of science with them across to the Ironman distance racing that just wasn't there even 10 years ago. I mean, like we were talk- we're talking about guys that are, are racing it from the gun now whereas back in the day I mean I know from going to Kona back in the, the 2000s and and even 2010 20, 2012, you, you showed up and there was a, this element of like survival at Kona where that I feel like existed and it was it had been there since the inception and it's still there but now there's this this another breed of athlete that is beyond that they're not there just to survive it they're there um you, you know like I said to absolutely race it from from the very word go and they they know their absolute limits in every single discipline to the nth degree. And I think that, the, that that kind of science behind it has really driven the performances up. I mean, just to uh, – I was really uh, interested to witness. I was actually staying out where the the Norwegians did one of their prep sessions just a week out from the race. And, and for these guys to be now coming into the Ironman World Championships – Uh, with the approach they they've got i mean it's just something that you would not have even considered uh 10 years ago i mean to be out doing a kind of brick session that they did you wouldn't even do it once in a preparation for, for kona let alone the week before i think six days out i mean this is the kind of level that they're bringing and it's really it's forcing the hand of a lot of other athletes to really go above and beyond what they're actually capable of and i think you know, there's, there's only a a select few that are ultimately going to match them. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for, for guys like Sam Laidlow and Max Newman, you know, Joe Skipper, they, they really have risen with the game. I mean, I feel like, you know, Sam's probably a lot newer to it than, than a Max and a Joe, but, you know, for them to still be ballpark with this kind of level, it's, it's exciting. And, you know, I, I've got so much admiration for what Max did. I mean, to get out of that swim and look behind and go, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to send it up the road with all these guys bearing down on me. And, and he held in there all day. And it was such a great performance. We would have been talking about it for decades had, had this been 10 years ago. Yet it was only enough. And I only say only enough to yield a fourth place now which is just it's it's crazy i mean he's the best performed aussie athlete in kona by an absolute country mile now and you know it's just unfortunate for for max that 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 this result didn't come any other year because i mean he'd be just put him into another stratosphere but yeah that's the level
0: Again, with my conversation I had with Max, he said that the female race scared him so much with the penalties through town that him and Mitchie, his brother and coach, just said, fucking leg it through town. Just get out in front so you can't get a penalty. And he smacked it and he goes, I just assumed that everyone would be there behind me. And it was only Sam Lay, though, that was up with him. So, yeah, Max, he was informed. But a few other things we talked about and, and goes on to what you were saying. The Norwegians, they're like, they're fucking smart right they're nailing their science this like um culture that they're bringing to triathlon like the the they have a whole team dedicated to to high performance they live and breathe it year year round like every day year round they're they're just not doing what everyone else is doing and people are going to have to adopt that if they want to if they want to keep up but they they're also just smart in other ways like the mind games these norwegian play these norwegians play are fun to watch and Mm -hmm. And I reckon it's taken me longer than, than it should have to realize it's happening. So for example, they, they claim that they put everyone, everything on Strava, but they don't put everything on Strava, like not <laughs> close. And then what do they do a week before the race? They upload, they put on Strava. They
1: put the most mental training session you've ever seen prior to Kona ever. up and it just absolutely just through everyone. Didn't it? Everyone was talking about that as all people in Kona could talk about all week was this crazy session. And you know what Mind games, it's the kind of thing that maka would have absolutely loved. You know, these, these are probably the modern day maka you know, these guys not only have the athletic ability, but they've also got the mental edge knowing that they can, you know, flex like that during race week. And everyone else is just essentially racing for third and fourth, aren't they?
0: Yeah. And Sam Laidlow said like, I would never check Strava, but even I had to like, everyone was talking about it. So I had to go and see what this session was all about. And he's like, Oh fuck, that's a big session. Like they just yeah. did it to scare her on it and say like, Hey, if we're there at the end of the bike, you ain't beating us. Like just, just to try and make people do the wrong things and over bike. And like, it's just, that's genius, mate. Yeah. Like it really is genius.
1: No, I was I was gobsmacked because I was actually out riding with Beth and and some of our friends out where they were doing this run, and we actually rode past them, and I swear that they because I obviously didn't know what sort of session they were doing at the time, and I saw them run past, and I thought, oh, they're doing a few pickups or an effort, like it 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 seemed effortless, but it was also very fast, and then to go home later and see that that actually was a forty-kilometer run at that pace, and just knowing that they were doing that six days out or a week out I mean it it, it's massive balls but I think at the same time I think they're so confident in their in knowing their bodies and where their limitations are that you know this is where like you said this is where the sport has to go now like it's forcing all of these guys to really assess how they're approaching their training and and what actually is you know, the the new normal in preparation for the Hawaii Omen. And
0: to continue on this mind game of the Norwegians chat, because I think it's such a fascinating part of the story is, I don't know if you saw this, but I've talked to a few pros now um, after the race who who were telling me this story, and we definitely didn't see it on the cameras. So people won't know this, um, but um, they're coached by a guy called Olaf Alexander Boo, um, and he's sort of like, He's the crazy scientist behind it all. Everyone would have seen him in the YouTube videos taking uh, the lactate the lactate tests or, you know, seen him by now. He's, he's getting pretty famous. And apparently he was in transition before the, the race, right? Um, so just before the swim start, when everyone was sort of in T2 fixing their bikes and mucking around and, and Olav was in there with a laptop. So he had a laptop on the ground. So he was like on the ground with a laptop and like notebooks and like he was like... He was being like, um, how were they describing it? Like he was like yelling out some stuff and being like, he was just trying to play mind games with, with the competitors. Like he was, he was yeah. saying stuff in there just to, to scare people, but like, you know, like intimidate people, not in a bully
1: kind of way, you know, like look yeah. at this just, kind I'm, of way. Like, we're here. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. No, there was definitely, I mean, I went down to the the pro transition that morning just to wish the guys we sponsor luck, but um I saw uh, the Norwegians in there and they definitely had this presence with them, whether it was with like the cameras were all on them, like, cause it's dark in the morning. They've got the cameras on them. They've got the media around them, but they're very vocal as well, which, you know, they they, they have this air of confidence that I think announces that they're there. And it's, it's again, it's like a, a very maca thing to do just to, to make your presence known and it's intimidating. And I think that that's, that's probably a tactic that they're beyond their crazy athletic ability is they're so mentally and, um, uh, yeah, they're so mentally confident that I think that that's where another level that that these guys are going to have to, to really pick up their game, you know, no longer, no longer, they're sort of just, um, just to make up the numbers anymore. It's, it's definitely like, I'm here and I'm here for a purpose and I'm here for a reason, you know, and um, you know, i you know, I've followed Sam Laidlow's progression in the sport too. He seems to have a similar sort of personality The Daniel Backligo, um, who else? I mean, there's Joe Skipper. They all have that, that sort of air of confidence to them uh, that I think that, you know, that's, that's becoming the new norm too. You know, I think it it wouldn't be called ego, but so much as just confidence in your ability. Whereas I think, you know, the humble sort of softly spoken um, athlete might be few and far between now. I mean, you've got Magnus Ditlev on the other end of the coin. I think he's, you know, got the science behind him, but he's definitely not a personality that really uh, draws draws people in like these the norwegians and the sam ladlows do so um yeah it it was very interesting to see their presence in the transition and and like i said i feel like they had it won before they'd even started the race i feel like
0: they thought they'd had it won before they started the race not only did everyone else think it i genuinely believe they expected to come first and second and that anything else would have been Um, I'm not even saying disappointing I'm saying like they just that's like I'm not saying it's an emotional thing like they wanted to come first and second and less than that would be a failure like I just think it was like in their heads like a like almost a foregone conclusion that they were the the best and the second best and it was just who would win and who would come second and they had this plan and if they they, and they were going to execute it and they were going to come first and second like I have I'm just 100% sure that's what they thought and there's a few things that that to me sort of speak on what you were just saying and like gustav in the post-race interview right he's just finished he's just won an ironman world championships he was happy sure but he wasn't as like like if you picture when patrick lang won or you know everyone throughout history they're just like all the only emotion you get from them is they're just like ecstatic and it's like a lifelong dream and they're so happy I didn't get yeah. that vibe from Gustav. I got this no. vibe of like, yeah, like I expected that, like no big deal, that, yeah. on to the next. And Christian crossed the line in third and he they sort of just like, they didn't embrace, like we've seen teammates or friends cross the line in similar positions, maybe not first and third, but very similar positions and just be like so emotional, like, holy fuck, like what did we just do? Yeah. And they were just like, yeah, like they didn't even really care. And, and then Gustav like, one of the first things he says was like, has a crack at Christian. Christian, like, makes a joke, he like, to come
1: second, yeah, we should
0: have come second. Like, he's like, basically, like, not him for running poorly. That's what he was doing, like, in a very, not in a mean way, you know, like a very best friend training partner way. Like, what the fuck, like, you, like, how, why did you run so shit in the last 10k there? That's like, and that would be the banter between them. I've got no doubt. Um, yeah. and then, like, Gustav just embodies that, mate. Like, Gustav. Gustav has this, it's really endearing to me. I love it about him. I just think Gustav knows how good he is. And, and I, I like, he, he knew, he just thinks he's better than everyone. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, I mean that in a like matter of fact, just how it is way. Like, he knows, I think he knows how much better he is than everyone else. And he, like, yeah. you see it a little bit in videos he does. And he's, he, like, he'll stop by into him and Christian both do this. Like, we love Lionel Standards for, lionel sanders for putting out the content he does but the because lionel has become friends with them gustav and christian will often like stop by and in their sessions or like you know be there and they just take the piss out of him in like this like (laughs) we're so much better than you way like god like you know like they take the piss out of lionel for his lactate being so high and stuff that it shouldn't be like like oh it should be 1.6 and it's It's, it's 3.9 like they know
1: him better than lionel knows himself
0: Yes, like my yeah. favorite line of of any of the videos that come out during during it was um they would Lionel was doing a track session, and like Lionel was guessing his lactate, Mikhail was guessing his lactate um, Lionel 's wife was guessing his lactate Gustav, Gustav now that, Gustav guessed it, and he was the closest by so much, yeah. and everyone was guessing so <laughs> low and and Gustav goes like no four point one, and it ended up being three point nine and everyone was guessing like yeah. in the ones or low twos and Gustav's yeah. just like, "I know his body i've seen that body before." and I pissed yeah. myself when he said that. Like I I it's just the funniest Isn't that I've a funny thing It's a scary
1: prospect too though when your competition knows you better than you know yourself. Like they they're just so dialed with the science of it and how to you know how to read their bodies that they can actually also read their competition's bodies better than they than than their competition. So yeah, I mean that's the level that you're dealing with now and that's that's how they've you know they've gotten to the top of the sport but yeah, I like you getting back to the to the emotion of it. You know, it, to me, I mean, a little bit hurts my soul to see someone cross the finish line at Kona and win it and just not truly celebrate winning that race. You know, you, we saw Sam Laidlow come across in second and he was just he, he was beside himself. He he had achieved essentially like a lifelong journey to get to that point. I mean, he probably didn't expect to come second and you, you saw that emotion, or you know, it would have been really cool to see that from gustav as well but yeah when you when you are so good that's what you come to expect i guess that's the emotion it's just yep done tick next
0: literally and the the let's like to to delve into the race a little bit um leading into saint george Everyone who I was talking to, whose opinions I respect, was, was picking Gustav to win and was picking Christian to maybe struggle a little bit. Then Gustav gets sick and like, for example, me and Crowey did a, a, a preview show and we just both thought Gustav was going to win foregone conclusion. We just, we actually didn't think anyone else was a chance. It was like, how much is he going to win by? And then he gets sick and Christian goes on to have that performance and we're all like, Oh, hang on. Would would Gustav have won? Like, I don't think Gustav would have would have been able to run with that run that Christian just did because at the time it seemed so alien to us. And then you know goes on to do sub seven and 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 looks pretty good again. And to the point where like I was still picking Gustav. I actually I reckon you probably were as well, Luke, knowing you. Um, yeah. But a lot of people. I think Christian was the pre race favorite still. Like I really do yeah. think if you had of if you had of asked every triathlon fan pr- probably christian was just the favorite and and it like it's funny how it had changed so much maybe because of um, christian's st george performance fuck it makes me wish we had to see what gustav would have done at st george because i reckon he would have won that still too and uh, i just wish we had got to see that but but it doesn't matter and and then so for gustav to come out and show us that christian looks unbeatable unless gustav's there and it, it keeps happening to races with christian like gustav is a robot mate the <laughs> Maxi Newman again. To, sorry to keep talking about him, but he he just he was there, and he has given me so much insight as to what it was actually like to be there. And he told he told me this story, Luke. So early on in the marathon, do you remember? Like it was like a. I'm not sure whether you were watching live or whether you were out in course, but there was this moment where Maxi Newman just sprinted around the Norwegians. So yeah. what actually happened was Christian and Gustav were running together, right? And Christian was sitting right on Gustav's feet. And Maxi came up beside Christian and was like, you know, running elbow to elbow with him. And, and Christian just kept pushing Max's elbow, like pushing him with it. And then like Maxi went in front of him a little bit. So Christian like kicked his, kicked his like calf, like to not to try and, well, Maxi said to try and trip him. Like he said, he tried to trip <laughs> me. And, and it, all he said to him, is he said, I sit on Gustav's feet. That was all he said. I sit on Gustav's feet when he like kicked him out of the way. And that's when Maxie then okay. made the decision to sprint around him, And, yeah. and he goes, he goes, but what he noticed when, when those two are running like that is he noticed Christian hurting. He was like, Christian was, was visibly and audibly hurting. And he goes, I'm telling you, mate, I couldn't hear like Gustav wasn't making a noise he said he must have been breathing out his nose like I could not hear him breathing and all he could hear was um, Christian like grunting and breathing and and struggling and he's like he sort of said like he thought to himself at the time that like oh Gustav's gonna win this even though he was still in the race a little bit Do you know what I mean which is pretty crazy and it looked like that watching it it looked like Gustav was just holding on holding on just hitting numbers rotating like taking turns swapping turns and and you sort of knew. You're like when Gustav explodes, this race is his to win. And sure enough, it, it ended up happening exactly like that. And that back ten K he did was like fucking wild, mate. And and to run two thirty six and off that bike they did. And I believe he won that a little bit more comfortably than, than what it looked like. I'm not sure your opinion on that. Two minutes ahead of Lade though, who definitely made him work for it. But yeah, I, I like I still think there's more more in Gustav than that. So pretty pretty crazy.
1: I agree with you. I think, you know, I, something in me thinks that Gustav is better suited to Hawaii and the, and the I Man distance. It's that little bit more than Christian, even though on paper, I think Christian probably has the engine. There's just something about maybe Christian has like a brashness to his racing where it, it seems like a little bit more um, bullet a gate, sort of not as calculated and as controlled as what you often see out of Gustav. I feel like Gustav sort of makes the right decisions tactically, literally every time he, he, when he wants to go, he goes sort of thing. Whereas from the outside looking in, I think Christian just seems to want to just inflict pain on people from the get-go without considering the tactics of it. And I think, you know, like just speaking to, you know, what, Happen there with Max, you know things like that. I, I, you probably wouldn't see that same sort of reaction from a Gustav. He would not be. He, he doesn't seem to be as phased with things like that. And I think that, you know, there's there's that element of calmness to to Gustav's racing with good calculated decisions that seem to be, well, when they're racing head to head, coming out on top. Um, and like I said, you know, when it comes to, you know. It, when it comes to 70.3 racing or maybe even Olympic distance racing, you can probably get away with that a little bit more on, on Christian side. But I think why uh, Gustav seems to be coming out on top, you know, each time they go head to head in these longer races is, is probably just because of the tactical decisions that he's making and just racing with that calmness.
0: There's a, th- there's like, I was thinking about this as well because there's no doubt that's true. Hey, Gustav's tactical now and, ability to read situations calmly in a race that when you're in them can seem quite quite chaotic like these decisions they seem very easy to make watching but when you're in it you don't have the same information you just you you you're not think cognitively you're not there the same way you are as if you're watching it and it looks so obvious and like and you don't really consider how hard it is to make decisions like that and then execute them. But he does just seem to never make a mistake in a long course race. I, I actually, I don't think I've ever seen him make a mistake apart from back in like 2017 or 18, but 17, where he raced 70.3, I think Dubai from memory. And I reckon he made a tactical decision where, where Christian ended up beating him. I haven't seen him make another mistake since then. Like he literally doesn't make him. He makes the right move at the right time. He holds back at the right time. He gets in perfect positions all the time. He's he can sit in and and let races, you know, just happen around him with like what seems like complete ease and calmness and then and then execute when he needs to. It's like it's quite crazy to watch and and I keep thinking about like, is he so much smarter than everyone else? Is he just is he a better racer or how much of it is that over these like long course races, right, where where, where cognitive function plays such a, a bigger role, it's not necessarily just acting on instinct, is it? Because you don't have to, like, like the right moves are often slow moves and he makes the right slow move every time. And how much of it is it because he's just so within himself that he can make really good clear decisions because – We've all had that feeling, even in training, like no matter what kind of athlete you are, when you're struggling, you're emotional or you're, you're yeah. at least a more it's emotional...
1: overwhelming, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah.
0: make... So like Christian being angry, like visibly angry to Max Newman and pushing him and kicking him, you know, that to me, I, I can sort of... I can never relate to Christian Blumenfeld, but I can relate to that emotion when you know, someone's next to you in a hard training session and you're just like, fuck you, like piss off or whatever because you're struggling and you're sugar low and you're not you're not in complete control of yourself or your performance. Whereas Gustav always seems in complete control, like he's so nonchalant. And I felt like that as well when I'm, you know, training really easily and things are going well and like I can laugh at things and, you know, I can be really clear and say witty things or like, you know, be my same like my normal clear thinking self and he just comes across as that to me like he's just so easy in these races like he's not working anywhere near as hard as a lot of these guys around him so he he can make these clear decisions
1: yeah no i mean obviously you spoke about the the situation where he he got to with 10 with 10k to go and that was that was his move to make but just his ability to read the race and to realize that Sam wasn't coming back quick enough and that he needed to make that move and there and then, and be decisive about it. I mean, few people, if anyone have has really ever gotten to that stage of the marathon and be able to like essentially kick it up a gear. And I think that that's, that sort of speaks to, you know, where Gustav is in his ability. I think had he needed to be put, you know, say a Magnus Ditlev was, off the bike another few minutes ahead and, you know, was commanding the lead. It it would have been interesting to see would that have forced them to overrun in the first 10 K or not, or would they have still stuck to their approach and had that, you know, that confidence that they, what they were going to do was going to get still get them to the finish line, um, you know, first, but I think that that's that's just was probably what was so impressive to me was just to watch that gap from I think it was about it got out to about three minutes with about ten k to go, and once they hit that queen k and was was coming back to town, the, the the speed that he was able to catch Sam was just mind blowing and Sam did not really slow down it was just that Gustav really kicked on so um, yeah I mean that's just gonna. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in the future. You know, should anyone really, you know, I mean, Sam took it to them off the bike, but you know, let's see them come off with maybe an eight minute deficit or something, which I doubt will happen for a Gustav and a Christian, but imagine they did. It just, it just, you just got to wonder what kind of levels they could go to on the run. If they, if they really needed to.
0: Sam definitely didn't drop off. He negative split that run. Yeah. which is pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, we should we should talk about other people instead of the Norwegians. But just the <laughs> the last thing on on Gustav is that that not only did he have to worry about Sam, he also had to worry about Christian. Like yeah. in that moment, maybe he knows Christian well enough to 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 like he knew that he had him beat. He said in interviews following it that. He thought Christian was playing mind games with him and pretending to struggle more than he was, and um, you know, letting letting Gustav. He thought he felt like Christian was was letting Gustav go to the lead in in the headwind sections, and then asking Gustav to come back around when when it was a tailwind and that kind of thing. And he thought that maybe Christian was 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 playing games with him. I don't know if that's true. He might he might know him well enough that he he knew he had him beaten, or he might know him well enough that he has. Respect for him and thinks he's thinks like sees what Christian can do in training and and then maybe thinks that Christian was capable of more than what he did in the end and and so in his mind he wasn't just thinking well what do I have to do to catch Sam he was also thinking what do I have to do to catch Sam but not let Christian beat me and he just made the like he just perfect decisions Christian put in this little surge Gustav instead of catching it finished his drink he was sitting there drinking a Red Bull he let Christian go. And just took took on the Red Bull for over about a thirty second period, and then just slowly caught him and made a strong move around him afterwards. Like instead of just going, oh, Christian's Christian's gone, react, not yeah. forgetting about his forgetting about his nutrition and going after it. He's just stayed back and finished it. Like sort of, you saw him do like a reset, work his way up, and then smacked it past him. Like that to me, that was like crazy to watch. Um, and and then go, okay, well that's Christian. Now on to Sam. And yeah, pr- look. Pretty much everything we're saying is how impressive was Gustav, which he was, and 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 we all know that. Um, I guess we move on to the other characters in the race. Sam Laidlow probably being the the main one. Um, pretty pretty insane. He's twenty three, Luke, and and he's confident, and but he's come out of nowhere this year. Like, yeah, he's been around before this, and he's been doing triathlons since he was young, but this is his breakout year. Like St George, the world champs we had earlier in the year, he was, in my opinion, the main driver or one of the, the two or three main drivers of that, that lead group that stayed away, the lead group of five that, that were off the front, you know, until halfway through the marathon. And then he's, you know, had a, a couple of crazy results, but he's done nothing like this, you know, like this was, this was insane what he did. Um, and, and like I'm still – I've thought about this race a lot and I'm still not sure how that happened. Like, you know, I've, I've thought about the bike technology and his position, which to me looked the best out there. Um, Magnus and Gustav I think look really good as well but he looked he just his bike position is elite yeah he and then I started thinking like he clearly had a lot of help from the motos once he hit the lead like he definitely did that's a fact but he was also the first person to get up to Maxi Newman he wanted to keep that that pace going with Maxi and 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 Magnus while everyone else was a minute back but was looking around and they weren't pulling around so he sort of you could tell he was on good form. So I don't think it can just be that he got help from motos in that last 90 K and that's why he got around. Like, cause he was the one looking to go the whole time and, and he was putting time into the group whenever he decided to, like when he made that move after he went around max, the group just couldn't hold his wheel and he did it two more times. And the second time it stuck, like, so I, I, I like, it can't have just been that the motos helped him. Like, and then he tells me his numbers and he, he held about 315 Watts, which isn't, out of this world like that's been held before people were holding that in your era there for sure um so how did he ride 404 and and being this select group of of um five people at the turnaround where the race was only between those and and right away from them like i don't know i reckon those guys maxi again he told me that they all sort of sat up like magnus stopped at the at the 90k point and lost a minute because he didn't get his special need stopped his bike stood off the bike grabbed his special need and and then had to put a massive surge to catch a minute back up to those guys which was sort of you didn't really see that happen too much on the live coverage like the way that maxi described it to me so he had to work really hard, and then got a penalty when he did finally catch up. And Maxi said that that Gustav and Christian and and Magnus just sat up, and they were like soft pedaling into town, basically. So that's a factor. But God, like, it was still insane. He still rode four or four or five minutes into the course record, and and no one got within five minutes of him. Um, like literally crazy. And 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 like I guess the boys were thinking he's not gonna run any faster than two fifty, 250, two fifty five, and then ran 244 and, and and made the boys sweat it was it was a hell of a hell of a day by sam
1: oh i haven't like i said to you earlier in the week i have massive man crush on the way that sam approached that race and how he executed it i mean i don't think we've ever seen the dynamic of the race sort of pan out like it did ever where sam literally swam first second third in that swim group the whole day then got on the bike and just took it up the road from the absolute get-go like through town like no one ever does that but then he got reeled in at the top of Harvey after spending the best part of two hours out solo with just Max um, it's very rare that then you, you would then just waltz away off the front again to come into the transition with such a commanding lead like it would just we've never seen the dynamics of the race pan out like that. Um, I wasn't out on the actual bike course so much as in town, but you could not have asked for more ideal conditions to ride fast with essentially no wind on the way out and a tailwind on the way back. So it's going to take a lot of, I wouldn't say luck, just the, the weather played a big, big factor, and it would be highly unlikely you'd ever get a day like that again in the very near future. So it's, it's I mean, the conditions really played a factor there. Um, but you were speaking to the motos and it's not so much the moto so much as the, the aura around leading that event. And I know, you know, I've done it myself in the past. I know Chris Lieto was a a guy that was sort of in that position, commanding that position and having that lead in that event and having that media buzz around you, having that helicopter above you, uh, all the motos buzzing around it just, Dulls the pain, and you are able just to go to another level. And the confidence that comes from seeing those splits go up and up and up only fuels you to keep driving forward. And I think that's what happened with Sam and seeing those splits to Gustav and Christian and Max keep blowing out and blowing out. Um, that just built confidence for him through the day. And what it did allow him to do is just run a really well controlled early marathon uh, in order to really back end his marathon he came home strong i mean he only got outrun by by gustav in that last 10 kilometers but the the way that he set himself up earlier in the race in order to really back end the race was also quite impressive and yeah i mean like we said about max i mean had this happened in any other race literally ever in the 40 odd years of this event i mean he'd go down in history as the greatest but you know it's just one of those unfortunate situations where you come up against a generational athlete and um, you know, Sam will have his time here again. I'm not sure he has the X factor to ever really compete with Gustav and, and Christian, but man, he is an exciting athlete to watch. So yeah, I can't wait to see a, more of what Sam does. I mean, a, you know, he's very uh, fun guy to follow and just the way that he approaches it. I think a lot of people can really, Relate, and I think that's probably a little refreshing too from the from the Norwegian approach. As much as those guys like to have a good time as well, I think Sam just sort of sort of essentially straddles both sides of the fence there, and I think that's what appeals to his fans as well.
0: And then there were some other stories, like we've already talked about Maxi Newman a bit, and uh, I mean. Yeah. You, you feel for Max. Like <laughs> Max is, um, Max, like to my mind, might be one of the most interesting characters in triathlon. Like no one knows who he is. He has 6,000 Instagram followers, which is like pretty insane. And, um, he said, like he, he went to sunny coast 70.3, um, three weeks before Kona. And Iron Man didn't give him a cent, not a single cent for for travel or accommodation or, um, or to, to, to do the race and and he wins it in like one of the better 70.3 performances we've seen on on Australian soil and and then um, and then goes to Kona and breaks Jan Fredino's course record by eight minutes and finishes fourth and you know like just no one is given max like people who who like Australian triathlon and you know for a little bit, there's probably like for a period during that marathon, there was probably people in like, Oh, this is huge for Maxi Newman, but sure enough, like the laid low performance and the Gustav and the Christian performance just completely overshadow it. And he's just like, (laughs) the day he's had has just been so overshadowed by other things that it, like, I just feel bad for him in a way. Like, in a in a way, like he's he's just had the the best performance an Australians had in current or ever, and you know for him personally that would have been huge, and he must be so ma- motivated to to go and do more now. But yeah, like in a, in a way, on the outside looking in, just like Maxi uh, Maxi can't catch much of a break here.
1: Yeah, it's just his nature, isn't it? You know, I like just from talking to him over the years, he's. He's a humble guy and he just gets down to business. He's no no fanfare about it. And I think that that's probably the difference. You know, I mean, in this day and age of, you know, social media and YouTube this and YouTube that and Instagram this, it's it's just not something that Max has really jumped on and probably to his detriment for his popularity in the sport because there's no doubt he's a popular guy. I mean, he's such a great athlete, but he's just not a big self promoter amongst the big self promoters. So I think that that's, that's the difference. And, you know, um, it would have been interesting had he held onto a podium spot, if he, if he really got talked about a lot more, but I think the media were just, I mean, the, the way that Sam took on the race, the way that the Norwegians executed it, it was sort of hard to, it was, it would have been hard to to talk up Max's performances over performance over that. But um, yeah, like, like you said, just feel bad for the guy because he's had just absolutely brilliant race done no wrong and walked away with a pat on the back with the fourth place. But you know what? I mean, it's still the beginning for Max and he's constantly showed up and put in such great performances at races like Cairns and um, you know, all these other events that he's, he's been racing in the last couple of years, it's sort of only a matter, matter of time until he does crack a podium there at Kona. And, you know, on his day, he could probably win it if he gets a, you know, gets a, um you know, a few things going his way. And, you know, the Norwegians not show up next year, you know, it could be open slather for some of these guys like Sam and Max.
0: And it really was a race of those front four guys in the end. Like we know Magnus was there all the way through the ride, but Magnus had a funny old day where he, like, put in this fucking huge surge out of the swim to catch the group and you wonder how many matches he burnt there and and then again at the 90K mark when he, again, he pretty much put in the exact same surge again, like, then got a penalty. Like, he cooked himself riding, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, if you just wish he could give uh, Magnus Ditliv Gustav Eden's racing uh, you know, Yeah, gouse. yeah. I, I reckon agree. you give him that and he's perform. he's a podium getter on that day kind of thing.
1: Well, he seemed to do the same thing in Roth earlier in the year when he sort of came out at a deficit to yarn and he really just drilled it across to him. And, but then sat with him. And so I think, you know, what seems to be his race tactic over a shorter distance doesn't really correlate to how he races his Ironman events where he seems to want to make up his deficit as quickly as possible, but then is content to sit and that's, that's his play. And like, it's worked for him at Ironman Texas and, and Roth, but it's, it's not going to work for him given the pedigree of the running uh, of Gustav and Christian and, and these others when it comes to Kona. So I think Magnus will learn to utilize his strength and, and probably gauge it a little bit better in Kona. That was only his first attempt at it. Um, and he's going to go away. I mean, he, he seems to have a very um, similar sort of approach, the scientific side of things. He's very calculated like the Norwegians. I think, you know, he's got everything in him to be in that position to vie for the win. I think that just this year, the way that he approached the race tactically probably just wasn't the way that um, was going to yield him you know the chance at a win but yeah first time there very admirable performance with a lot of uh, I would say misfortune with the penalty so yeah and then I guess got to touch on a few others I was so stoked to see Sebastian Kinlay in the top 10 a really good friend of mine raced him for so many years and I honestly thought a result like that um, was beyond Sebi at this point in his career. So f- to see him up there and almost now that top five, I think Joe Skipper only got him in the last few K that, I mean, that was a dream result, I think for Sebi, you know, after such a long career and um, you know, you can't keep it, you know, you can't keep a champion down. Can you, that guy is the most consistent guy in Kona over such a long period of time. And it's, you know, I was so stoked that he could end that his career there on that note. So um yeah, big shout out to Sebi.
0: Yeah, I was definitely going to touch on Sebastian. What a race. Like imagine if you had have gone back, let's go back to um, 2011, right? And just when we're entering the Sebastian Keenley era of dominance and you tell him, hey, you're going to go 755 here one day, but you're going to come sixth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just wouldn't have believed
0: yeah.
1: it. No. Yeah, no, it's crazy. The level's just gone. I mean, and how cool for Sebby to cross – generations there and be competitive not only you know during his really dominant period of his career but still be there now that it's gone to the next level and let's be honest i mean his body's falling apart on him but he just keeps finding a way to get it done and to go 755 his best ever result there um at you know getting close to 40 now he's yeah i mean it's just such a such an inspiring and 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 I'm just so proud to to see him do one do it for the old boys, I guess.
0: I also really love Joe Skipper's performance. Like there's probably not too much to talk about. It was pretty you see what you get with Joe there. It was, it was I just I like Joe and and I think for him to come fifth, like I actually think he overperforms. I don't think yeah, I think he overperforms. I reckon he he probably doesn't like I, I think you give Joe's ability to to other people and they probably don't come fifth at Kona the way he did I think he's a tough bastard he rides super hard he runs really hard like he he knows how to hurt himself he paces his races really well he's quite a smart racer you know he doesn't have the tools to to do what the guys in, in that front group of five like did but like and he said he wouldn't be happy with fifth place fifth place would be a like a failure for him but I don't think he could have done any more that day like I think he got the absolute most out of himself. I don't think he could have come more than fifth no matter what. Like, and so I think, I think that was his ceiling on that day. And, like, I hate saying that because I love him and I'd love to see him do better. But, like, I just realistically look at what happened out in front – there's no way Joe can get there, I, I don't think. Like, no. not on a day like that. It's too – there's just – Not unless
1: he swims significantly better in the future. But, you know, yes, Joe is just the champion of the mentality of just never write yourself off. Like, the, if you look at all of his results, you know, the, even going back a month ago when he, you know, was on the side of the road for 20 minutes at in Wales and still pump, pumps out – a. 235 or something to, to, to win. Um, th- that's the sort of mental game that these guys are coming with now too. It's just like, well, I've had a bit of misfortune in the race, but I've still got the, I'm still in it. And I think that that's, you know, that's where Joe is just always so much stronger and superior than people around him. He might not have the actual pure ability across all three, but man, he's, never writing himself off right up into the finish line. And so, yeah, I mean, it was probably the best result that he could have hoped for coming fifth, given that he just has such a deficit out of the swim Um, until they, I mean, until they shorten the swim or cancel the swim or whatever. I just can't see Joe getting all the way up to the front, but he'll, he'll always come steaming through. That's for sure.
0: You know how people, and I want to touch on, touch on Lionel Sanders, but you know how, because Lionel has such a following and the, there's no doubt he is actually like this, but people just see him as this no limits guy that he that he sprukes. And look, he is. He's his race at St. George, his race at Kona, where he came second. He's done that. Like that race from behind, get the most out of yourself, hurt more than other people around you. He, he he's embodied that and and people see him as that person. And I reckon Joe Skipper is like the dark horse, like that. People don't I don't know if everyone sees Joe like that, but when I watch him race, that's how I look at him. Like he just hurts himself and he he rides so hard and, and, and hurts himself on the run. Like he is really, he, he to me, he did what everyone thought if Lionel was going to have a good result, which he, he didn't and we'll talk about, but if he was going to, he had to race a certain way and, and come from behind and, and kill himself to get up there. And it turned out that that, that happened, but it was just Joe Skipper who did it. And he, and, and it was just like, I love to watch it. I, like I thought, you know, fifth place, similar, he's got a lot more fans than a Maxi Newman, but in a similar way that fifth place gets overlooked and not really talked about too much. But yeah, I thought I thought it an exceptional result. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad we touched on it because um, as far as getting the most out of yourself on the day of, of what you're like physically capable of, I, I don't know if anyone did it more than, more than Joe Skipper. So. Yeah,
1: no, no, I agree. I mean, yeah, just any time that he's on a on a start line now, I think probably probably go back four, five, six years ago, people would have sort of written him off to to produce a result like that, just based on his on his swimming ability and the way that the races were being run and won. But um, you know that this approach that the guys like Joe and Lionel have now and just the way that they can absolutely go deeper than anyone else in this in the field I mean I'd probably say that Christian has that similar sort of mongrel to him as well maybe but there's very very few people in the field that seem like they're willing to literally kill themselves to, for that <laughs> for that result and I, I'd put those three in the in in that um, category so Joe being one of them and and Lionel and Christian, probably a close second. So yeah, well done.
0: And of the 44 guys who finished, there's like so many more stories we could touch on and I'd love to,
1: like I would literally love to
0: almost go down the list and just go guy by guy and story by story. Cause there's a lot. And if you follow the sport, you know that like everyone who, who finishes of those 44, there's like a story you can tell about their race and some points of interest, but we just don't have the time. So there's really only a couple of other guys I want to quickly touch on and I'm just going to make a same, the same call that I made with with Danny Allen and Anne Hug. Patrick Lang's time winning winning Ironman World Championships is done. Yep. He he's never going to win another Ironman World Championships. The the game's gone past him. His run isn't the strength that people thought it was. He's a fucking good runner. He's run really well at Kona. People are, are doing it as well or better from now. And and I don't see him coming back and winning. You know he can come top five, top six, especially next year if no one shows up. He can he can podium next year potentially, but. I don't think Patrick Lang can ever win again and and 10th place for him was, I actually thought, a pretty good result. Um, in, a, in a similar vein, Cam Wirth, I like, Cam Camworth's the second fastest Australian ever at Ironman uh, Hawaii now, so that's pretty crazy and, and finished finished 11th. Um, I, I don't think Cam can keep doing what he's doing and, and competing in the sport. He He would have to I, well, I think it's past him anyway because I think the guys, you know, setups and the way they're riding, uh, and the way they're riding, being in that front swim group. I, I love Cam. I, I just don't think he he can get to that you know same level where he, where he came fifth a few years back. But, um, I I mean, I don't think he really wants to either, does he? He's sort of half committal and
1: he's happy. He's happy in his with, with the place that he he's found himself. I think. I mean, it, it to be able to cross multiple sports like he's doing is, is unheard of. And I mean, to be, you know, riding in a classic in, in Europe, in a, in a pro cycling Peloton, but also, you know, finishing the Hawaii Ironman in eight hours, we've never seen an athlete like that. I mean, that's, that's incredible, but, and yeah, you'd hate to think if Cam just would just have a season of just focusing on one thing, I think, you know, yeah, he could definitely, you know, move up a few places in Kona, has he got the ability to, to win it? I, I highly doubt it. I think just the game's changed now. I think there's too many guys that can ride close to him and, you know, those guys that can ride close to him time-wise are also swimming a couple minutes quicker. And so I think what was working for three, four years ago, you know, that the game's changed now. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just, that's the evolution of sport and that's what makes it, makes it exciting, isn't it? You know, just the next generation supersedes the, the past, and um yeah, it makes for you know for good triathlon watching. I mean, we've just talked about it for I, know, <laughs> I could keep talking but, about it uh, for at least yeah. three
0: more hours, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with Cam, he like he's living the dream. Cam, like he's living his his like his literal dream. That I don't think he look. He'd love to win Kona, and he'd probably love to win a Grand Tour. I think yeah. he, he's like, he's not going to do either of those things because of the the way he's going about it. But fuck, it's pretty fun to be able to go and ride for a <laughs> pro cycling, the biggest pro cycling team in the world. And then, and then, like you said, go and just quickly become the second fastest Australian ever at Kona. Like, fuck, like, I'm super jealous of what he does. So hard for, I, I, it would just be such a hard decision to go, oh, I'm not going to ride on this pretty massive niche, contract. Not, and,
1: not many people, or no one has done that before. So to be in that. Not close, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Uh, and yeah, there's other stories. I reckon. I reckon we won't touch on anyone else now. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already looking forward to next year. As, as crazy as it it's how we work, we sort of move on to the next pretty quickly. The the Norwegians are saying they probably won't be there, and which is quite funny. Like how many defending champions of Kona ever have sort of uh, gone like, yeah, I don't. And they're
1: back on it, yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah.
0: whatever. Like it's not the most impo- I like it's not the most important thing to me next year. That that's never yeah. happened before. Pretty crazy.
1: Don't you just wish, Jan, you could get one swing at these guys and you know and just have that sort of absolute you know event all of them on the start line all healthy all at their best shape it's just it's probably not going to happen now which is disappointing but um yeah it would be interesting to see if even Jan can come back next year to the level that he was prior to his injury and prior to COVID so yeah it's uh it's the nature of the sport isn't it you know the the, the the champions of the past they they're there for a long time and then there's a new wave comes through so we're just right at that very crest probably both at the men's and the women's right now of the changing of the guard
0: the yarnfordino one's like really interesting because I hate to doubt Yarn. Yarn would be sitting back there believing he could beat these guys. He he believes, I've got no doubt in my mind, that if he was there and fit, he could have won. He, have won. he, he, yeah, he believes okay. that. And yeah. do we believe that? Well, that's an interesting question. I think Gustav beats him this year. I I, I do actually believe he could have come second or third and, and probably would have. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't see how anyone, I just, even the Jan Fredino, who in my mind is the greatest male to have ever done it, which I came around too late to. Um, everyone was sort of believing that a long way before me, and I was still holding on to the Alastair Brownlee train. But even Jan, I just think Gustav's better than him over that distance, particularly at, at Kona. Um, and he might have played it perfectly because there's every chance Jan wouldn't have won this year he he might have he might have proved everyone wrong and and beat the norwegians but i think gustav still wins so if he somehow managed to go insane performance to win in 2019 missed the 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 one year where he might not have won and and damaged his legacy as the greatest of all time to just then come back the next year when the norwegians are focusing on the olympics and simply cannot be at the level they were the the year before at kona and and win it and retire as a four-time ironman world championship winner like i reckon that's a real chance i i see jan as potentially winning this race next year and it playing out perfectly for him with, with the norwegians not being there
1: he, he definitely does just seem to just have the chips i mean besides the injuries have the chips fall in his favor almost every time doesn't it when the, in, in that you know when he does line up he rarely loses in a, a race so um, I agree with you. I think he would come back and win next year if the Norwegians aren't there. Um, but like I said, I think Gustav's probably got the edge on him now. You, I mean, you're talking about a up-and-coming, not an up-and-coming, you know, a new age athlete coming through and a, a past champion that's had such a long, illustrious career coming to a close i mean you, you've got two very different ends of the spectrum there it's got to change at some point and you know i think that would have been this year but we didn't seem to get the head to head and so um the, it remains to be seen whether the norwegian approach has longevity to it i mean they they could be here this year and not be there the next i mean the way they go at it is just absolute next level i mean it, it seems totally unsustainable yet you look at someone like jan or Daniella. It's just been such a long consistent career with a few ups and downs with injury and illness and whatnot, but it's really such an impressive career over such a period of time. And I guess that's what's probably going to ultimately judge the Norwegian success in the future is just, are they here for a good time or, or are they going to be here for a long, long time?
0: It's a great note to end it on. Um, I already can't wait for next year now. That's That's got me excited. Like, I'm just praying that we we get that jewel, even though I think it's inevitable that we don't get it and that, that Jan becomes a four-time champion and you know Christian and Gustav are both in the top five at, at, at the next Olympics, but we'll wait and see. And that was an awesome recap, mate. No one I would have rather to to sit down and, and chat for almost two hours with about that.
1: <laughs> it's crazy. I can't believe we just chatted for two hours. It's Yeah, it's, yeah I'm, a, I'm a fan of the sport, as you know, Jack. I think we've both come from the same angle there and really happy and love talking about about the sport you know i i got into it when i was an eight-year-old um just as a fan watching it out at foster so you know i think i'll be a lifelong fan and now i've my you know i've personally retired i i feel like i've just slotted right back into that eight-year-old fanboy mode (laughs) again so yeah i love it and i'll you know keep going back out to Kona as long as i'm allowed and um and and being a fan of the sport
0: Awesome, mate. Hey, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate you.
1: Thanks, thanks Jack. See you, mate.